The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Your headlines this Thursday morning. Joe Biden and Xi Jinping speak on the phone for the first time with the new U.S. leader raising concerns about trade and human rights. Fed Chair Jerome Powell calls for a national jobs drive to put millions of Americans back to work while playing down concerns about inflation. We now explicitly seek to achieve inflation that averages 2% over time. This means that following periods when inflation has been running persistently below 2%, appropriate monetary policy will likely aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time. The World Health Organization backs the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, recommending its use in adults of all ages, despite recent criticism from European leaders. The important thing to remember is that uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine is um, an efficacious vaccine. It has demonstrated efficacy and safety. Um, And it is an important vaccine for the world, uh, given the short supply that we have in vaccines. Unicredit's loss widens in the fourth quarter as revenues fall, but the Italian bank proposes over a billion euros in cash returns to shareholders. And it's Earnings Central today on Scorebox. We're going to hear from top executives from the likes of Schneider Electric, Billfinger, Clarion, Commerzbank, Echon, uh, Relics and Arla Foods, to name but a few. A very warm welcome, everybody. I feel like we already know an awful lot about Commerce Bank because the uh, the new CEO, Manfred Knopf, has basically been busy since he came into his position. You'll remember pretty much a week into the new job, uh, the new CEO of the business wrote off one and a half billion euros and effectively said that uh, the bank would have to raise provisions to 1.7 billion euros. And we already got a, a firm signal about the um, anticipated um, uh, losses that the, the bank was going to uh, post. Uh, they told us um, we were looking for something like 2.9 billion euros of uh, uh, net loss for 2020. So we actually get the full details here on the earnings release now. So let's um, just work you through these um, very slowly. And we're also going to, let me just point out, talk to the CFO uh, later on in programme. So, uh, Commerce Bank says for 2021, the bank is looking for a cost reduction of around six and a half billion euros. This is a result of the plans that the new CEO and his team are implementing. This is strategy 2024, the group targeting a reduction in costs by 1.4 billion or around 20%. There are job cuts, of course, and there is a program to significantly reduce the number of branches. The group then uh, expecting a risk result of between minus uh, 0.8 billion and minus euro uh, 1.2 billion for 2021. So already signalling 
um, that there are going to be challenges for full year 2021. Positive operating result, though, expected for that year. The uh, group says it's taking into account planned additional restructuring expenses of around 0.9 billion euros, uh, targeting a tier equity, uh, sorry, a common equity tier one ratio of more than 12% by year end. So the statement very much um, signalling the significant scalpel that is being taken to this company. Closure of a further 190 branches planned over the current year. Interestingly, the group says it is planning on a resumption of dividend payments, but not ultimately until 2023 here. Let me give you a quote from the CEO. Uh, We want to be sustainably profitable and shape our own destiny as an independent force in the German banking market. And as you know, um, the German government has of late even been talking about some of its concerns about the um, ongoing erosion of profitability in the German banking system. What jumps out to me are the cost savings. We were talking to a banking analyst uh, pretty much uh, before the earnings season and as the US banks were reporting. And one of the messages at the time was that you are going to see strong cost cutting right across many of these banks because of that profitability outlook. And also you think about the, the retail arm of the business. A lot of this has changed around the pandemic trend. I mean, when was the last time we went to an ATM, let alone went into a branch? Clearly, some of those retail divisions are going to be restructured as a result. And this is not just a commerce bank story. I think you're seeing uh, some of the pressure to take up costs more aggressively in uh, areas where there isn't as much revenue growth and that's typically these European banks that we're talking about but it is a feature right across the board and that's going to be a very hard backdrop I think as we talk about the jobs picture too for the financial services industry in 2021 on the back of this pandemic. Yeah I mean there's a bigger question here isn't it? Annette knows this better than uh, we do as uh, as our uh, correspondent in Germany who's been intimately involved in um, tracking and tracing the twists and turns for the German banking sector. But I mean, as long as we've been covering it, it's been a challenge for these German banks to persistently make very strong profits and margins. And as I think about the main rival in Germany, you know, we sat down with John Cryan. He came in with a big new plan to change the future for Deutsche Bank. He then had to pack his bags and leave. We remember Jürgen Fischen. We remember Anshu Jain. Of course, you know, you have to go all the way back almost to Mr Ackerman to remember uh, something that seemed like the halcyon days of German banking. So this is a fantastic story. At the time when German manufacturing industry is doing better almost than any other uh, um, uh, country, Uh, barring China perhaps, the banking sector still remains mired in these woes, which which is extraordinary, but I think probably tells you an awful lot about the fact that there is another banking system in Germany 
that tends to pick a lot of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to wholesale and retail banking there. I think uh, we would add to the challenges that the European banks have already faced, uh, this acceleration in digital. You've seen it during the pandemic, uh, the use of more platforms. And the banks that have not invested in the IT, that have not invested in the technology, have had to aggressively do so. And if you think about the, the cost savings initiatives we, we are seeing rolled out, some of this is about how do you pay for the future? And it's not a, an ability to sit back and wait now because that trend is very much upon us. We've seen across other sectors where it's been accelerated. And if the banks have not gone down that pathway already, then they're being forced to do so at this stage. Uh, so um, just to reiterate then, um, the, this is a bank that is scheduled to cut 10,000 jobs, close hundreds of branches, much of this already signalled, of course. But we will talk about this new programme, this ambitious strategy to run the bank up to 2024 with the CFO of the business, uh, Bettina Orlop will join us. That is a first on CNBC interview at 8 Central European time. Well, let's switch over to the uh, second biggest listed bank in France uh, to Credit Agricole as its numbers are presented today. It's uh, reported a 92.6% drop in its fourth quarter profit. It uh, booked some one-off charges of 851 million euros, including a goodwill impairment on its Italian unit. The company said X, those one-offs, underlying net income was down 26% to 975 million euros. It did set aside higher provisions related to the pandemic, and uh, that's uh, been one of the big hits it saw in that final three months. The bank's cost of risk, uh, that reflects bad loan charges, that was up by 58.5% year over year to 538 million euros during the period. It hasn't provided a four-year guidance for provisions for 2021. And you know, don't forget, as we talk about France, not going into another national lockdown, but still significant challenges around the vaccine. So perhaps it doesn't have the visibility at this stage, uh, which is why it's not providing any guidance around those provisions. It does plan to pay uh, 0.8 uh, euros dividend per share with the script dividend payment options. So we're uh, giving a little bit of flexibility around that payout to shareholders, but uh, certainly reviving a little bit of appetite, no doubt, uh, around those dividend payouts. And it was quite interesting. Not all the banks are on the same page when it comes to this shareholder dividend. No, no but I was just going to make a slightly different point. W when do we get a clean set of numbers from the European banking system? As, as long as we've been sat around this desk reporting on credit agricole, there has always been, it seems to me, every few years, a major write down either on an acquisition, on goodwill, or on something else. Again, very hard as you try to do a like-for-like -like comparison across the European banking space, when every couple of years you get a major write-down on a misstep taken by management of the past. We're still cleaning up the assets, what, from the last crisis. So it's probably no surprise that they're, they're revaluing the portfolios of some of these assets as well. Steve. Uh, yeah, good morning to both of you. Yeah, well, look, one day, Jeffrey, when you're ready to hand over your vast empire, media assets, etc., etc., to your daughters, I'm sure you'll do so with the same grace that Lakshmi Mittal is doing uh, with Aditya Mittal now, his son, who, of course, was uh, previously the CFO, president and CEO of ArcelorMittal Europe. Well, he's now going to be uh, the chief executive of the broader company with uh, Lakshmi uh, going up to executive chairman. Before I get to the numbers and the shares, very interesting to see uh, Aditya Mittal's first comments straight away talking about the importance and he says the biggest challenge but also the biggest opportunity will be to demonstrate that steel can decarbonize and indeed is the perfect material for the circular economy if you haven't heard the terms viewers circular economy 
You will. You're going to hear a lot more of it because they're all talking about it now. Right, let's move on. Well, the shares have actually had a very good rally off their uh, recent lows, their lows of last year, again, around about eight or six euros per share. They're actually trading significantly above their 52-week high, um, trading kind of at the same kind of levels they were trading in April 2019. But a big recovery still to come, especially when you see the kind of numbers that Europe's steel industry uh, is pouring out as we speak. And in 2020, they're saying they delivered 1.5 billion euros euros, big pardon, dollars of free cash flow. Uh, fourth quarter net income was $1.21 billion loss uh, versus a loss of $1.88 billion a year ago. So an improvement, but still uh, a really, really tough sector to be in as well. I'm um, just looking at the, the broader statement today. They're saying the company ended 2020 with gross debt of 12.3 billion US dollars and net debt of 6.4 billion dollars. And that's interesting. That's the lowest level since the 2006 merger from the, the company as well. Right, let's uh, move on and tell you what's happening on this show because after the break, we're going to speak to the CEO of Schneider Electric, that's Jean-Pascal Tricois, as the French company reports its latest results. That's the first one interview after the break, Karen. And we're going to be joined by a number of top executives this morning, including the Clarion CFO, Stefan Leinen, Commerce Bank's Bettina Orlop. Later on, we're also going to speak with Ehon Boss, Lad Fresse, Deutsche Borsa's Theodore Weimar, and Arla Foods CEO, Peter Tuber. That's going to come your way later on across the, the day on Scorebox. Stay tuned. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Right, let's kick off our earnings central today with uh, our first CEO of the day. Looking at the numbers from Schneider Electric and looking at the share price performance over not only the last 12 months, the last five years, this is the company which is trading significantly higher than its, um, its high from last year. It's around about 123 euros per share as opposed to uh, a year ago when it was trading 97. So something going on at this company in terms of the structural performance, not only the cyclical, although it's a mixed set of results from what I can see as well in terms of the fact that the gross margin looks very strong. The group talking about a 12-year high of 40.4. But when I dig down into some of the individual divisions, perhaps not the performance that uh, Jean-Pascal Tricois would want as well. So let's go into these two issues straight away with the CEO of Schneider Electric. I'm delighted to welcome him uh, back to the show. Uh, Jean-Pascal, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, let's start off first of all with that gross margin. It's trading at a a 12-year high. Uh, You're talking about uh, it being an exceptional year 2020 for everyone. Can you maintain those kind of margins going forward? Hi, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, that's the expression of the change of our portfolio, the transformation of the company as we embark more or, or we develop more software more services and productize more of our offer so that our integrators and customers can integrate our technology, we get a higher margin for for our business. So that is the expression. And that's particularly important to see it in an year of crisis like 2020, where we had to reconfigure uh, the way we we operate. But what strikes me uh, in in the past six months, last time we spoke was six, six months ago, is that we had an extremely strong H2 
uh, we grew in H2, our sales grew. Our margin expanded, operating margin expanded by 140 bips. And when you look at the full year, our operating margin is growing by 20 bips. And I think the ultimate signature of quality of the exercise we just went through is our cash flow, which is at a record high at 3.7 billion euros. So I, I believe that the transformation of our portfolio towards more electrification, digitization, and being the partner of our customers towards more sustainability is expressed in those figures. Very interesting that you mentioned that services side. And of course, Aviva was a large part of that. And it looks like it's going great guns. But on the other side of the coin, when I see softness, I see it in industrial automation, I see it in process automation, and I see it in areas such as North America, where I think you have an issue in Mexico, it seems at the moment. Yeah, well, there has been a softness in the Mexican market, and it's not unique in our industry. I think Mexico has been a, a soft spot uh, for, for our industry. But when you look at automation, half of what we do in automation is what is called continuous process, heavy industry. And a part of it has been affected by the COVID crisis. Speak about oil and gas, for instance. Uh, but mining also is another industry which has been, uh, which has been affected. Uh, now, those industries, as they look to the future, are really looking towards more digitization. Um, we are engaging in different form of dialogue with them towards digitization on, on the evolution of their business towards more sustainability. And as we look into 2021, we see the cycle of those industries becoming a bit more positive with the increase of raw material prices and resource prices and as the demand is, uh, is climbing up or is coming back uh, throughout the markets. Uh, Jean-Pascal, since you're in Hong Kong, let's give it the first Gung Hei Fat Choy of the programme this morning for Chinese New Year. Um, let, let me ask you, um, what's interesting is, is the guidance you gave in the third quarter was for revenue to fall somewhere between 5 and 7%. What you've reported is uh, a negative 4.7% organic here. A lot of that down to an improvement over the growth quarters of the second half of the year. Does that suggest to us that the rate of change and the direction of travel is for broader improvement here into the first two quarters of 2021? Yeah, well, uh, LGF, uh, good to speak to you on Happy New Year to you too. It's good to have New Year's Eve together with you guys on air. Um, what, what we had said at the end of Q3, we had repositioned up our guidance as we are seeing more momentum building in ourselves. And today we are announcing for 2021 a guidance for growth of our organic sales in 2021 between 5 to 8%. So clearly this expresses that we see more momentum in, uh, in the market. Why is that? While we aid the situation, I think every country in the world has learned to work with the COVID on the virus situation. And we see that economic activity is, is developing. Um, we see also stimulus packages, uh, like uh, they are historical in terms of value, which are uh, coming now to the economy and will hit the economy as we go into uh, 2021. And in many countries, they are towards the digitization on, on the sustainability of infrastructure, and that speaks, uh, of course, to, uh, to our technology. So then, uh, if you compare to 2020, every country has been the victim of lockdowns, which creates a low comp 
for some of those countries and create space for growth and, and development. So, and we have in 2020, for, two, for us at Schneider, 2020 has been not only an year that I was describing of strong adaptation to the economy, but it's been an year of intense acceleration of our strategic repositioning with the initiated or closed acquisition of several companies, Larsen Turo, to consolidate what we do in India on a series of automation on software companies started by us or by Aviva, our software company, our sister software company, which will reinforce significantly our portfolio in the field of digitization and complement already what we, what we have built around Aviva. So as we look to 2021, we see a momentum which is building and increasing, which means that we bet the guidance we formulated in Q3 at the end of the year right. and formulate the guidance of growth as we go into 2021. Jean-Pascal, as you look to ring in the, the new lunar year there, probably a good time to talk about fortunes, good fortunes. And I want to just approach this through the lens of uh, free cash flow that's gone up and net debt that's gone down. How willing are you to engage in uh, more debt at this point, given there's a very low level of uh, interest rates out there and plenty of free cash available? How willing are you to take on more debt for acquisitions at this point? Well, uh, indirectly or directly, we have first to close the acquisitions we have initiated. Uh, last year, and the priority for us is really to welcome uh, the staff of those acquisitions, the employees of those acquisitions on board, and drive the technological synergies, the value proposition to our customers in the year to come. So, really, the priority is to organize and to synergize everything we've put together in 2020. So, with that, we're going to be busy enough, and, and we've got to refund the debt, which has grown a little bit, but, but with the cash flow generation, we have nothing at all uh, concerning. Jean-Pascal, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Jean-Pascal Tricoir, the CEO of Schneider Electric. Uh, let's move on. Bill Finger has reported a fall in fourth quarter earnings, revenue falling 18% to 882 million euros. The German industrial services company said it expects to see, quote, significant growth this year after already seeing a small uptick in fourth quarter orders. Despite headwinds due to the pandemic, the company is proposing a dividend of €1.88 per share and says it will restore the previous year's uh, cut dividend to €1.00 uh, from £0.12. Cents. We're very pleased to have with us uh, Christina Johansson, interim CEO of Bill Finger. Christina, welcome back to the programme here. C can I ask you, to what extent do you feel that um, it's your exposure specifically to the oil and gas services sector that has uh, impacted your performance? Good morning. Yes, I'm very happy to join you, join you this morning. Yes, of course, oil and gas, as you know, has been around about a third of our sales um, before COVID-19 and before 2020. So, yes, this area, this industry has um, has been uh, heavily impacted in 2020, especially in the quarter two last year. Um, we lost a lot of volumes um, for the quarter. However, I have to say we have also seen a very strong um, recovery in quarter three and quarter four, also in oil and gas. So um, I can confirm that 
it is coming back, also oil and gas, but we are um, used to now the fact that we will not get back to the size we had before 2020. So we also need to adjust our portfolio and replace some of the oil and gas volumes with other business. Mm. And um, I think we're all aware that there is a bid talk out there in the market at the moment, either from Altrad of France or potentially from a, a private equity bidder at this point. I heard the offer on the table was about 30, year, uh, 30 euros, but as recently as uh, mid-2018, your company was worth 46 euros per share. Um, are they having a laugh? Are they trying to buy you on the cheap? As a matter of principle, uh, Bilfinger does not comment on rumours and speculations. Um, myself and the executive board, we are focusing on the transformation and recovery and a focus on improving the company going forward for all stakeholders. So no comments on rumours. Uh, Christina, there's certainly been many difficult years at the company and we've uh, tracked the fortunes closely. It feels as though some of the backdrop might be changing, though. We've got the European Recovery Fund money about to be uh, rolled out and spent in many countries. Do you see Billfinger being a major player in the, that recovery fund money? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's clear that Germany um, will spend, the German government has committed themselves to spend uh, um a lot of money on, especially on the hydrogen side going forward. And uh, giving our skills and our experience, we expect that we will also be able to benefit from this investment, so for sure. But it will still probably take a number of years before larger projects will come through and generate uh, workload. So it is more now to develop the experience to be on board from the beginning and then drive this forward, this process. Um, very good speech, Christina. Does, does Europe have a problem? When I think of chemicals and petrochemicals, energy and utilities, oil and gas, all the things that your company is a speciality company at providing solutions for, Europe doesn't want these on their own shores. There's a nimbyism about it. We don't want these new petrochemical facilities. We don't want oil and gas investment as well. Do you have to look elsewhere rather than in the EU and broader Europe uh, for your growth strategy? Well, I think it depends on what kind of uh, timetable you are looking at. Right now, a lot of the assets in the chemical and petrochemical industry are based in Europe. And they also, from an age perspective, they are now going through a period of time where they need quite a lot of maintenance, both uh, day-to-day -day maintenance, OPEX maintenance, but also modifications. So that's a, it's a very good market for us to be in. If we look a bit ahead and we think maybe 10 years ahead, yes, new investments in the chemical and petrochemical area, um, you're absolutely right. More of these new investments are happening, especially in Asia. So it also means that we, we need to develop Bilfinger in that direction. And uh, I think in 10 years' time, Bilfinger will also have um, a footprint in Asia and then be able to support the same kind of clients with their new investments. And Christina, we're going to speak to another CEO later on today. I'm sure, man, you know, Ben Van Burden, who basically is going to tell CNBC and I think the world that actually they have a strong renewable strategy and will perhaps pare down as a percentage their investment in oil and gas as well. How prepared and how well prepared and what kind of expertise does Billfinger have for the new wave of energy investments? 
I think we are in a, in a very good position. We also have to say that a lot of the skills and experience that we have also out of oil and gas, we can use in the renewable area. So we try to, of course, continue to benefit from the oil and gas part, but clearly also de developing our skills and our opportunities in the renewable side. Um, so we, we, we will go both ways, and I think that will be very much the same strategy as many large oil and gas companies. Um, you benefit from your past and you continue to grow, grow in the renewables area. Uh, Christina, thank you very much for joining us today. Christina Johannesson, this interim CEO of Bill Finger. We've got uh, uh, numbers just crossing from Berno Raku, uh, right bang on time uh, from the drinks business. And uh, let's just get into what we've got. The first half, 4.99 billion euros reported versus 5.47 billion a year ago. We've been talking about the hit to the retail channel for a number of these drinks businesses. No different for this company. The first half net profit from recurring operations at 1.6 billion euros versus 1.79 billion same time a year ago. That net profit... Uh, Group share euros, uh, 966 million euros versus 1.03 billion. So I think you're getting the picture about uh, the drop in earnings and the drop in profitability that we've witnessed. The recurring free cash flow has crossed at 995 billion euros. Net debt decreased by 443 million euros. Uh, and uh, we've also seen sales growth for the four-year organic sales growth anticipated now for four-year 2021 in particular thanks to a dynamic performance in the United States, China and India. So some positive comments coming through. Uh, you may recall that a little bit of product innovation, sustainability is going on in the backdrop. Uh, they recently launched a 60% recyclable bottle of absolute vodka in the last week or so. Uh, so the, the bottling uh, instrumental to the journey. So, uh, is it the bottle or the contents that's recyclable? <laughs> well, obviously the bottle. <laughs> the cocktails, you can have them again, but I don't think that's recyclable. It's like that old joke about the, the water in London, isn't it? Passed by the Lord Mayor. Right. For, for, for drinking. Um, hard water versus hard liquor. Uh, very interesting. I mean, just, you know, obviously totally different businesses, but isn't it interesting? You look at Pernod Ricard and where the shares are trading here, and they're really not that far off their recent five-year high, which was sort of back in uh, 2019 here. So they've had a reasonable pandemic in the sense that they sold off and the market has bought them back in anticipation that actually they're, do they're doing all right. Bill Finger, Still struggling here, I think, to find that new, that fresh gear. But, you know, Christina, not wanting to talk about the potential um, bids out there, but I think very interesting, 30 euros for that business looks like a cheeky low bid given may, where they've come from. Well, maybe it's a story of not just sector, but also jurisdiction, where you play in the world. And the United States and these numbers did a little bit of heavy lifting, you know, plus numbers versus negative numbers coming out of the European market. So perhaps it is a story of uh, breadth of the business at this point. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.